Okay. So I've, I've made this mention to you in the past about how I see the book of Second Timothy. We have all these writings of the Apostle Paul. The last that he wrote is Second Timothy. Excuse me. Or it's at least, at least, see the grape tube sitting making a hiccup. At least it's the, the last that we know that he wrote. Maybe he wrote others, I don't know. It's end of his life, he's writing Second Timothy. And he's writing Second Timothy to Timothy, his son in the faith, this, this child of his that he so passionately loves, and he's um, commissioned into this ministry that he's given Timothy. And Paul knows that he's about at the end of his rope. He's about to go and be with the Lord. So Paul doesn't waste one punctuation mark in his letter to Timothy. Imagine you're a father or a mother and you're laying on your deathbed and you have your children in front of you and you know you've got about five minutes left to live. You're, you're not asking them, did the Tigers win last night? You're, you're releasing what's so important to you. And that's what I see when I read Second uh, Timothy. That's what Paul is doing. He's like, I can't waste a word because this is my last opportunity to sow into this son of mine. I've been living in Second Timothy since last Sunday. It's like, Lord, I got 20 months. I don't want anything that I was supposed to do, that I was supposed to leave, that, I, that, that you had from me for them to not be with them when Teresa and I go and Annika. So... Um, all, all my restraints, all my fears, all well, maybe not all, I don't know, we'll see. But all that stuff, I'm shaking it loose. I'm, I'm not going to concern myself too much with what you think, because you can fire me if you want, but you're sending me in 20 months. And, and so my heart is just like, oh my gosh. And that's where I think all of this next stuff is going to come from. Not, maybe not as much this one, but that, that, that heart. I feel like I have Paul's heart for Timothy at the end, and, and I'm him and, and you're Timothy. So take a little wine for your stomach. Stir into flame that which was... I'm being cute again. That's what I went up here for. I wanted to get rid of cute. I said, Lord, you, you told us, Margie, to give to the Lord, and I need to give him cute because it just... Yuck. So today I'm going to ask you this question. I'll ask it at the beginning, and I'll ask it at the, at the end. In the context of what you heard last night, which I'll, I'll review again for you, what is God saying to you, Becca? What is he saying to you? You don't have to answer. Yeah, I did something last, night. last week. Yeah, you need a good interpreter because stuff gets twisty weird when it comes from my brain. It's right. When it gets my mouth, it's different. I'm not exactly sure what that is. There's a speed bump or something in there that... There's a filter that's missing, too, sometimes, but that's a whole other thing. But seriously, Annika, what is God saying to you? You don't have to answer, but you should wonder, right? Let me tell you a little bit more about what's going on with us. And, and if you weren't here last week, the Lord is changing our assignment. We are going to be missionaries. I, I can't even say this. I wish... I don't wish. I mean, I'm happy that it's the Bahamas. I mean, you know, it's like if you've got to be assigned someplace rough to serve God, you know, the Bahamas, somebody's got to do it. But, but that's what he showed us. When Keith gave me the hard time, when I've told him, he's the first person I told, he's, he's like, well, that's just stupid. And I'm like, well, okay. And I told him, I told him we're going to buy a boat. And, and the second time when we were talking about it, he said, well, I still think it's stupid. And, and what do you need a boat for? Why don't you just get a motorhome? I mean, it seems like you'd be better off with a motorhome. And I'm like, well, what could the motorhome in the Bahamas? I mean, you know, you can't swim off it. it. It can't go from place to place, island to island. But that's where he's sending us. He's sending us to the Bahamas. He's sending us as missionaries. And probably early summer of 2021 is when we're going to go. Will you put the picture of our new house up on the screen? We're going to sell everything, and I think we'll each have like a, a grocery bag of shorts and T-shirts and flip-flops that'll go in the Buick 
when we move down to that. That's our, that's our prayer. That's a 44-foot leopard catamaran. We're, we're praying 44 to 46 feet Camouflage. with camo on the outside, right? <laughs> right. Because that, that'll be our home. That's where we'll live. We won't have any, probably no car, no house, no, you know, bathing suits, T-shirts, shorts, maybe. Huh? I know it. <laughs> right. I'll have to borrow Keith's suit if I come back up here to do a wedding. You know, it's funny that you ask that because I put that in my notes as we were singing today. You know, that song, that first song, Test me, try me, prove me, refine me, like to gold. That's a big boy Christian song. I mean, when you sang that song, do you understand what you were asking the Lord for, right? Test me, try me, prove me, refine me, like to gold. That, the process kind of stinks, but the outcome is glorious. And then uh, let the wind blow, let the wind blow. You know what the Greek word for wind is? Pneuma. You know what the Greek word for spirit is? Pneuma. If I was a missionary going to live on a sailboat, I would be pretty wanting wind, right? Wind is handy on a sailboat. And I sure wouldn't want to do it without God's Spirit. Can anybody guess what the name of the boat is? Numa. Yep. Yep. So across the back of that or along the side will be Numa. And now you might see Annika's boat in that picture. You see Annika's boat? Hers is a little more exposed than me and Therese. No bathroom in that boat. <laughs> that that boat has a name too. That do you know what do you know what the Greek word for made well? Like it says, your faith has made you well. You know what that Greek word is? You're, you, you're saved most of the time. What? Sozo. Yep. So Annika's boat's named Sozo. You look for Sozo in your New Testament. You'll find it. References saved, healed, delivered. So the wind is going to move the boat, but the Holy Spirit's going to move the ministry. Numa. Thanks for asking. You're a great straight man. It has two. Yeah. Somebody says to me, like lots of people say to me, Do you know how to sail? No, uh uh-uh. <laughs> You're going to spend how much on a new house? And it's a sailboat. Yeah, it's a sailboat. Wow. But you don't know how to work it. I don't know how to work it. No. Nope. But I do know how to work a motorboat. And it has, a, it has an engine in each hull and a little deal like this. You could make that thing spin around like this, one frontwards, one backwards. So there you go. Right. So, nope, we don't know how to sail it. But there's a million sailboats out there. I can't be dumber than a million people. I should be able to figure out how to work a sailboat. So we'll cross that bridge when we get there, or hopefully a little before we get there. <laughs> right, but no, I don't know how to work it. Boat school, that's right, yep. Right, you betcha. Training? Hey, I'm your pastor. How do you think I got here? <laughs> nope, Numa trained me. Okay. Yeah, I haven't figured how that works yet, but I don't know. A sailbox, yeah. Another one, another message going to have a lot of editing work. <laughs> Let me tell you how this came about. What's that? There you go. <laughs> hey, Trees, here's another one. <laughs> it's from Keith. It's still stupid. <laughs> okay, I gave this away. I don't know how come it's like it won't go stay up there where you, where you belong. Let me tell you how this came about. Back in probably April, I don't know if you watch YouTube. I mean, I watch, we, you know, we don't have cable or anything, so, you know, watch YouTube. And, and you watch something, and YouTube says, oh, they like that, so they give you more, like, Bonanza, I watch Bonanza, or used to be like polar bear document. I saw so many polar bear documentaries, I could, I could probably tell you everything you want to know. Because once you start asking for something, it's, it figures out that's what you like. Certain teachers I listen to, YouTube feeds me their videos all the time. 
One day, I open up my YouTube on the home screen there, and there's a picture, you know, a video of a sailboat. I never thought about sailboats, never looked at sailboats, never cared about sailboats. But here it is. So I tapped on it. I thought, hmm, YouTube thinks I might want to like a sailboat video. It was about a family, six people living on a sailboat, big, bigger than that one, <laughs> but living on a sailboat. And it basically chronicled their life, sailing across the oceans and, and you know, dealing with stuff like, you know, rough winds and uh, sail rips and you got to fix it and, you know, swimming, nice stuff, scary stuff. It was just, it was really interesting. It was like, uh, like um, what do they call that TV like reality, like reality TV, only not stupid, you know? And uh, so I, I started watching, you know, there's lots of those in there. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> not stupid. I just want to ask how old they were. <laughs> 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 you know, the longer you do this, I'm not going to stop till I'm done. <laughs> okay. Okay. Okay, and it's probably not going to be camo either. Just, I mean, let me bust your, maybe the sales, I don't know, we'll see. Okay, so I'm watching these videos, and then once YouTube sees, hey, he watched a couple of them, it, it starts to feed me more. So they, these people, they have like a YouTube channel, it's called, and then they, every week, they post up another video, and, and then you see this one, and, and, and you start to watch some of those, and I started thinking, wow, you know, this is the first time in my life ever that I've ever had any consciousness of my age. Like, you know, I could do anything, anytime, you know, no problem. And now I'm almost to the middle <laughs> of my life at 60. But I, I think about, you know, things. And so I start having these thoughts about Oh, that would be kind of cool. You know, in a couple of years, Teresa and I will have money when we turn on our retirement um, savings. And we could do something like that. And I'm watching the videos, and I'm having little thoughts. And, and then I felt like my heart was, um, uh, my flesh was, was drawing my heart away from my assignment with the Lord. And I started to pray, and I said, Lord, I'm so sorry, forgive me, that I've allowed myself to be enamored with this sailboat thing and, it, and it's trying to get my heart away from what you would have for me and Therese to do. Uh, you know, this is our assignment. And I said, Lord, I'm, I'm just telling you right now, I'm sorry, and I'm not going to watch any more sailboat videos. I'm done with them. I really felt that way. I felt like I was, you know, cheating on God, so to speak. And I don't know how to explain this part to you, but there was a, there was a strong sense that I missed God on that one. That, that the sailboat thing was really him. So um, I started to pray again, is this you, Lord? And as I was praying, I heard these words, circuit rider. Now some of you might not be familiar with what a circuit rider is, but back in the, in the olden days, there would be little towns all spread around and, and there would be these, these Christian preacher guys and they would, you know, saddle up their horse and put their little sleeping rug on their back of the horse and, and they would ride, you know, I don't know, a couple days, a week out to this place. And then they would share the gospel and they would minister and whatnot and then they'd pack themselves back up and they'd ride to the next place and the next place and the next place. And over the course of riding that circuit, they may go 1,000, 1,500 miles and they may not get back home for a year or a year and a half. So when he said circuit rider... I had some sense for what it was he was saying. And then as I was praying, I remembered that Kenner took me to Sheboygan, Michigan to fellowship with some of his, you know, pretty substantial Christian pals. And one of the guys was super impressive. I told you about him. His name was Daniel. Um, Daniel walked across the entirety of the Upper Peninsula praying, and the Lord would stop him. And he would say, here. And then he would intercede on things that were, you know, uh, inhibiting the gospel in those particular places. Anyway, Daniel was a very quiet man, not, not outspoken, you know, not boisterous in any way. But man, when you were around Daniel, you knew you were with the real deal. So we were kind of getting ready to leave because, you know, we just made a one-day trip up there and back. And, 
I said, would you mind, could we pray for just a minute? What I really wanted was for them to pray over me. And we started to pray, and Daniel said, I have a word from you from the Lord. I tried to record it, but the, the phone thing didn't work right. Um, I guess some of it. But he, he made these prophetic statements. He said, the Lord has been preparing you. And in 2020, that preparation will be complete. And he said, the Lord is giving you a tool. And he said, it's a tool like an adjustable tool so that when you meet person, these are my words, you know, this person with this particular need, this tool that God's giving you will fit for that need. And, and, and when you meet this person and their need's a little different, the tool will, 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 will be able to meet that need too. And he said, the Lord is making you a fisher of men. And I've, you know I've been crazy about the gospel for the last three or four years. He's just stirred me so much. And I felt like, Lord, where's the spirit of the evangelist? I mean, where is the fisher of men within our fellowship? And to hear that prophecy that God is going to make me a fisher of men, it just, it just broke me. I mean, it made me so happy, but it broke me that I was going to have the opportunity to actually be a fisher of men. So I remembered when I was praying, he brought that back to my memory. And he, he prophesied over Teresa too by that time. And he just did that. He said, hey, the Lord is speaking about your wife as well. By that time, the recording thing had given up. So I didn't capture it. But he said things like, she will be your wisdom. Like, like your wisdom will be in your wife. But that wasn't the only point he made. I can't remember what the others were. But it was very encouraging. So now the Lord is starting to move on me. He said this word, circuit rider. He uh, turned me on so I could watch the videos some more. Um, there's this preparation that he's been doing, this tool that he's going to give. Uh, you're going to be a fisher of men. And I started saying, Lord, is this you? I mean, is this you? This, is it the sailboat thing that's you? So I had Teresa start to watch the sailboat videos, but from this perspective of, hey, I think this might be the Lord. I think he might be calling us to something different. And, and Teresa wasn't quite as fast to come, but at that time I was seeing like crossing oceans and things, and she was seeing 30 days and I can't see land in any direction kind of things. But she put out fleeces, three or four of them, right? Fleeces before the Lord, and he responded to every single one of them. So now we're at the point where we know it's the Lord, and you know, we just need to start getting ready to do it. I mentioned this scripture last week. I want to share it with you again. Because what is the Lord speaking to you? What is he speaking to you? And, and for me, I've always struggled. I've had to repent. I used to say, why can't I hear God's voice? I don't hear God's voice. And I would run around with people who, it's like, it's like God is right there where Teresa is. Hey, Trees, what do you think of the weather? Well, Pat, I think the weather's really great. Yeah, well, what should I have for lunch today? Well, you know, I really think you should maybe have a bowl of chili for lunch today. Right, I'm fasting. I don't get to have any lunch today. <laughs> but I would always think that must be how people talk to God. And then my friend Kirk, I love Kirk. He used to be an elder in this church. He discipled us so well, he and his wife. And, and Kirk would say, Pat, you just have to learn to listen with your heart. And I'm like, Where's the instruction book that teaches me how to do that? I could never figure it out. So I know there have been many times where I've heard the Lord and known that I've heard the Lord, but I never had this conversational relationship with them, and I actually made those statements. I don't hear God's voice. I've had to repent and ask God to forgive me. That, right? So then I start hanging around with Kennard back here, and, and he's, he pushes my edges more than just a little bit. And... I started telling him, Kenner, you know, I'm, man, it feels like the Lord might be telling me we're supposed to get a sailboat and go. At that time, I thought it was the Caribbean, but he's, he's narrowed it down. I think it's primarily just the Bahamas. And he said to me, he just looked at me, he said, it's God. I'm like, well, how do you know it's God? I don't know it's God. He said, because you have God in you. Your spirit and God are one, and he's speaking and you're hearing, just like he speaks and you hear all the time. You just never acknowledge it because I'm always so afraid of ascribing to God what's not God. You know, fear of like, oh, what if I make a mistake and it's not God? Not like he's going to beat me up, but somehow it's irreverent or something. And he taught me to be confident, to trust. And that's when this scripture started speaking to me. It's Philippians 2, 13. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work 
for his good pleasure. So now, when, when, I, when I feel like I'm hearing God's voice, maybe, I say, I test it against the scriptures, of course, but it's like, no, God is in me. He's in me. He's in you. He is in you. He'll speak something to you. It might be by a sailboat. It might be by somebody lunch. It might be, I don't know what, but he'll speak to you. And if you spend time with God to the point where you have any discernment at all, then you can hang your head on that scripture right there. See, God is inside of me. Not just to do stuff, but to want to do stuff, right? So when we go, it's like, you know, suffering in the Bahamas, haha. But Tanya and Alex and Liam are here. Ryan and Krista and the boys are here. You're here. Ashley and the family not here, you know. But it's not nothing to leave everything, generally. But I want to. Why do I want to? Because God's inside of me. Not to just make me work, but, but to make me want to do the things that he wants me to do. So, so when Kenner says, Pat, relax, you're hearing God. It's God. I say, yeah, because you're inside of me, God, stirring me. I mean, I tried to shut it down. I said, Lord, forgive me. But it wouldn't go away. And Kenner gave me the confidence to trust that God is able to bring us where he wants us to be. I want you to be encouraged by that, whatever that is. Gives me great peace. So then I start having, um, I start having visions, like real visions. And as I'm praying, I go like, I don't know how to say this, but I think Peter, when he was on the roof and he saw the sheet, and you know, so he was like in a trance or a stupor of some sort. And I, I saw us, me, Therese, Annika, the house, and, and we floated into like a, they call them keys, like a cove where you put your anchor down and, you know, and you can, that's where you stay. And we put the anchor down and, and that's where our house was parked. And we got into Annika's boat and we rode it to the shore. And we were in that particular key because we knew that's where God sent us. We just knew it. And we went to the shore, and, and we got off of Annika's boat, and we started walking until we saw who God showed us already. Now, I don't know if he's going to show me or her or this one or I don't know, but we're going to walk through wherever that place is, and that, that person's going to be right there, and we're going to know it. And that person is going to be crippled in some way. And that person won't know Jesus. And we're going to go and we're going to pray. And that person's going to get healed. And we're going to share the gospel. And that person's going to get saved. And then we're going to disciple at least that person. I I mean, I haven't seen everything yet. But we're going to disciple that person for some amount of time. A month, two months, three months. And I heard the Lord when I saw that person getting healed say, Now he has a testimony. Because that's the first seed in that part. So for however long we're there, we disciple. When we're ready to leave, we give that person an assignment. Like, you know, read your Bible or I don't know what that is, but I know we do. And then we got in a boat and we went... And we came into the next cove thing where you put your anchor down. And we went in and I saw the same exact thing happen again for one month, two months, three months. And then we got in the boat, and we went off to the next place. And as we were turning this corner to go like back wherever this next place was, I heard the Lord say the words, circuit rider. And I said, Lord, I'm starting to see. I'm starting to see what it is that you're doing with us. I mean, I was so excited because up until that time, all I saw was sailboats. After I thought it was the Lord, here's what I saw. Pat Brady on a sailboat. It's cool. It's fun. I saw Pat Brady, ooh, it's a little warm, swimming in the crystal clear ocean. I saw Pat Brady catching fish and eating them. You say amen to that. Amen. amen. <laughs> and I was praying, I'm saying, Lord, I'm, I believe this is you, but I don't see ministry, I don't see gospel, I don't see anything but sailboats and, and stuff that anybody in their flesh would like. He never responded to me. I kept praying. On that turn, he said to me, circuit rider. And I'm like, Lord, I get it. So we ended up into that third cove, 
and we did the same thing you heard the first two times. And then we picked up the anchor and we left, but we didn't go to a fourth place. We went back to the first place and continued to disciple. And my sense is there was more people then. So ultimately, what I think I see are some sort of network of home churches where people are meeting in, in their homes and the Lord is rising up his gifted people. All, every person is gifted, right? But somebody is specially gifted in teaching. So maybe that person will go from house to house to different meetings and bring teachings. And another one prophecies. And you know, another one has is, is got hospitality. or I don't know what all that is. I haven't seen it all yet, but that's the sense that I have. So that's what is happening in the visions that the Lord is giving me. That's what I'm seeing. Yep. So then, you know me, right? I want to see those surgeons fix up whatever Jonathan needs, but I really much rather see him jump out of Ben's lap and start running around and saying, Woohoo! And I'm like, Lord, I don't want to be, forgive me, I know this is a blind guy in a duck hunt. You, you get that, that metaphor, right? I'm a, I'm a duck hunter, but I can't see. I hear quack, 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 quack. So I just start firing into the sky, hoping that I'll hit a duck. Maybe, you know, just blindly firing. I say, Lord, I don't want to be a blind guy in a duck hunt. I want really what you're showing me. I want to know. And here's the scripture that came to me. Therefore... This is John five nineteen and 20. Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. I, I haven't had that experience too much in my life with the Lord. I've been a guy shooting at ducks with his eyes closed. And I hit a duck every once in a while. You know, I stumble into what the Father is doing. But I don't, I don't want to spend the last parts of my life like that. So I'm praying and praying, Lord, I only want to go to the places that you show us. I don't, I don't want to wander around some city looking for somebody that's not there because that's not where I'm supposed to be. You have to show us the place, and you have to show us the person. We need to see it. And I believe, I believe, like, um, remember at the beginning of the gospel where Jesus is just kind of collecting his guys, and he runs into Nathaniel. I think it's Nathaniel. And Nathaniel says something, and, and Jesus says, well, when I saw you under the fig tree, blah, blah, blah. And then Nathaniel's like, oh, you're the Messiah, you're God. Well, what changed his mind? Because Jesus saw him. And Nathaniel knew that Jesus didn't see him. He, he saw him. And, and that's the powerful thing that I want. Or Bartimaeus, you know, blind Bartimaeus. Uh, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David. He's standing at the curb as the big procession is going by. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Shut up, guy. You're going to bug Jesus. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus is like, who's that yelling at me? Oh, I said, go get that guy. Bartimaeus gets led over to Jesus. I bet you any money the night before when Jesus was praying that his father showed him Bartimaeus, and he knew. And Bartimaeus, he said, Bartimaeus, what is it that you want from me? I want my sight. Bingo. Yes, sir. Amen. God has already seen them. Amen. He's going to send you and Teresa to them. Thank you. Just consider that for a minute that while we're sitting here right now, right. people getting up in the morning and breathing and eating and going through their day, we're doing it for the Lord. There's an intersection waiting. Right Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I saw you under the victory. Amen. And we'll see them. That's that. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Well, if that's how Jesus went, that's how I want to go. 
right? And, and those intersections that Kenner just talked about, where, where we're going to intersect with those people that he's prepared us and them for, those are the same intersections that he's preparing for every one of us, all of us, every single day, whether it's here in a meeting, like an intersection to pray for Jonathan, an intersection to do this, an intersection to do that. They're all preordained, right? You were created in Christ for good works, that were prepared for you before the foundation of this world. Ephesians something, right? <laughs> yes. Yep. Anytime, anytime you preach Ephesians, you get an amen from Kennard. <laughs> okay. Um, let me tell you something else that might help you. For the last, I don't know, 12 to 18 months, my prayer time has changed a little bit. And I find myself, I mean, I read my Bible, and then I pray and worship. And always when I read my Bible, for I mean, since I started, a, a scripture will just stop me. And I'll think about it, and I'll close my eyes, and I'll be just like, oh, Lord, your kingdom come. You know, whatever it might be, and I want to ponder it, and I want to think about it, and I want to ask the Lord, what does that mean, or whatever that might be. And I open my eyes back up, and I continue to read. For the last 12, 18 months, my eyes don't want to open back up. <laughs> it's like, I'm afraid to do that for fear that I'm going to fall asleep. I don't really feel like I'm asleep, but I'm, I'm not awake either. I'm in this kind of dopey thing. And I was sharing the visions that I've seen with somebody, and all of a sudden the Lord showed me that every one of those visions that I saw was when I was in that dopey, kind of half awake, half asleep. Because I've asked him in the past, I've said, Lord, is this you? I mean, are you just trying to make me peaceful or maybe I didn't get enough sleep last night or I don't know what. And every one of those visions happened in that thing when I'm like, I'm, I'm not asleep. I'm sort of praying, but I'm, I'm really not awake. I mean, Teresa would say I make sleeping sounds probably. I might be snoring for all I know. I, I don't know. But I just want to encourage you that I'm learning that, that that's how the Lord is speaking to me, and I'm not beating myself up for not staying awake or whatever. When it's hard for me to open my eyes back up, I just don't worry about it, and I just stay where I'm at. I have something went on my heart. It'd be better to do what you think God is asking you to do in faith than not doing it at all in fear. Even if you're wrong, at least you're trying God knows your heart. Don't be scared to try. There'll never be nothing done. Amen. Glory, you know? It's always been our idea at Church on the Street is don't concern yourself more with making a mistake than with what the Lord might be asking you to do. Absolutely. Amen. So, so the next thing um, that I'm praying is, Lord, it can't be without your power. It has to be with your power. And I, I've been I've been using Philip as my as my model when I pray. That I I, I mean I can recite the gospel. I mean I, I just I know it. I'm comfortable with it. I, it's just no problem for me at all. But I don't want to do it without God's power, without the guy coming up out of the wheelchair, without the gnarly hand getting straight, without the demonstration of the kingdom. I don't want to just do it with words. I don't want to go out there and plant churches that are full of people that, that have words but no power. The kingdom is not a kingdom of words, but a kingdom of power. That's what the Bible says. So Philip, here's Philip, Acts chapter 8, verses 4 through 8. Therefore, those who had been scattered, now the apostle, the apostle, he's not the apostle, he's the apostle of Satan right now. Saul of Tarsus is bringing this persecution into the church in Jerusalem, so they're scattering. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds, with one accord, were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. You hear about going around a mountain? I think I just finished another lap around a mountain. I've prayed that, the prayer, Lord, where's the power? Lord, where's the power? Why is it that I, I don't see in my own personal ministry and I don't see a church on the street what I do see in the scriptures? And, I don't know, a year and a half, two years ago, the Lord talked to me about holiness, right? 
And I preached it, and I committed myself to it, and I drifted away a little bit. My thing that I keep drifting back into is entertainment. It's, it's not filthy entertainment. But if people are getting murdered or, you know, it's like, eh, why do they have to do that? Or there's, there's unholy relationships. You're not watching the actual thing happen, but you know it's happening. You know, they're not showing you the stuff, but you know it is. It's like, why would I swim in that pool? Because my flesh wants it. It likes it. It wants to be entertained. It's so easy to just dumb down my brain and watch something. So I'm asking that question again. I shared this with you last week, so I won't take a lot of time with it this week. But I asked the Lord. And uh, he showed me through a conversation with Kennard about being set apart. And then as I'm sitting in the chair, will you put the tree picture up, John? If you sit in that room in the chair closest to the door and look out the window with the thing, that's what you'll see. He said to me, Pat, what do you see? And I'm like, well, I see those trees. I see those trees every time when Kennard and I sit down. No, Pat, what do you see? Well, I see that white tree. That white tree always catches my attention. What about that white tree? We, now, we talked about being set apart, Kennard and I, before this, when the Lord speaking to me. I'm like, well, that tree is different. It's set apart. It's, oh, it's set apart. Yeah, right. What else do you notice about that tree, Pat? Um, oh, Lord, it's dead. There's no leaves on its branches. The Lord said, there's leaves on your branches. There's parts of you that aren't set apart. And it was like, Wow. And, and the scripture that he started me with, the last go-round with this, is this, 2 Corinthians 6.12. You are not restrained by us, or God speaking to me. You, Pat, are not restrained by me. Where's the power, Pat? Pat, you're not restrained by me, but you are restrained in your own affections. And that's the verse he used to convict me last time, when I was crying out, Lord, where is it? You know, we've been praying for Jonathan, and there's no miracle. We've been praying, praying for... Um, I can't think of his name, in the wheelchair. The, the little boy with um, Hunter. Hunter. Been praying for Hunter for years, and he gets worse, not better. The Lord says, Pat, listen, I'm not restraining you at all. I'm, I want Hunter better, but your affections are restricting my flow through you. Like That's a pretty solid poke in the eye. I'm so glad. I, I would hope he'd poke me in the eye faster before I even start to drift away. So there's two things of ministry that, that I am seriously, maybe Teresa and Annika too, but in my prayer time where my hat's being hung, Lord, you've got to send us into, so we know what it is you're doing. So we're only doing what you're doing. We're not shooting at ducks with our eyes closed. And Lord, don't send us without your power. And he says, I don't want to, but you have to decide on that one. So let me speak a minute now to to us and to you all, like us and church on the street. By the way, um, a couple months ago, I gave this ministry a name. Its name is, ready? It's catchy. (laughs) Church on the Sea. Get it? Church on the Sea? Can anybody pick out an acronym from there for me? Church on the Cots. How about that? Now, that is one crazy coincidence. It actually turned out that way. I wasn't thinking about that when I, when I coined that phrase. But, so you'll be cots, and we'll still be cots. You'll be church on the street here, and we'll be church on the sea there. We'll be mobile church, that's right. And I bet we won't want for many people that want to go on a mission trip with us. So let me read you some scripture. Romans 10, 13 through 15. So, so I want to I shape the way you see this. Romans 10, 13 through 15. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring Good news of good things. Annika, do I have beautiful feet? (laughs) Unless they are sent. So I sat down with um, Larry and Keith and Jeff, the elders of this church, and I I, I want to start to have conversations with them about their role as elders. I'm I'm, I'm calling them to a much higher place if they choose to want to go. 
And um, I had this thought. And I said, hey, we want to be your missionaries. We want to be your missionaries. See, I've never quite felt good about this. Uh, HP, <laughs> Assemblies of God. <laughs> Assemblies of God is maybe the largest missions organization in the world. Like, if they're not, they've got to be in the top couple. And the way a missionary goes to the field is they, I mean, they, they pass about 10,000 tests and things. It's incredible. And then they get recognized as a missionary. Then they start running around from church to church to church to church asking for money, asking for money, asking for money, asking for money. And it just never set well with me. I've always had this sense that somebody, I, I didn't know it was going to be us, but somebody from church on the street was going to rise up and be called to the missions. And we wouldn't send them from church to church to church to church. They would be our missionaries. They'd be our responsibility. We would send them and we would make sure they had everything that they needed to be sent. And we're a small church, right? Now, here's the good news. We don't need your money. But, but if we did, and it was one of you, I'd say, hey, you don't need to go panhandle. We're going to figure out how to send you. You tell us how much it costs. We're going to figure out how, much, you know, how to get that so that you can go because we recognize the call in your life. So I want you to see that Pat and Teresa and Annika are not leaving but you're sending us. You're sending us. We're still one. Now, now you've got a piece of a missionary in Kenya, and you've got a piece of some missions work in Tanzania, right? Pastor Salito and the Binti Project. And, and, and you've got a piece of, of helping um, a ministry for unborn children in Kansas City with Denny and Mindy. You know, uh, Salito, every month we send him money. Binti Project, we do as we feel like the Lord's asking us to, or if they need help. And every time Denny's car breaks, we send him money. <laughs> or whatever. But, you know, that's how those relationships work. And now, now you have us. I want you to lay hands on us. I want you to send us as part of Church on the Street. You can pray. We're trying to figure out what the Lord would have us to do. I'm not feeling comfortable being under the umbrella of the Assemblies of God. I think they're wonderful. I love them. But every program they have is made for Annika. You know, that wants to go out in the mission field, not for a couple of 60-year-old people that are already established reasonably in life. And I've thought about, we were pretty familiar with Iris Ministries, which is Heidi and Roland Baker. So I called a friend that was in Mozambique with us that's been nine years in missions, not now, but they had been nine years in missions in Mozambique and China. And I said, you know, What's it like? He said, well, it's not like at all the Assemblies of God. You know, you've got a lot of structure at the Assembly of God. You have no structure with Iris. And I said, well, why, why would I want to bother? He said, well, you might like to be connected to that DNA. And man, that rocked me. Because the DNA of Iris Ministries is, is you go and you sit on a curb with the homeless people and the sick. It's a Mother Teresa kind of um, heart. And, it, and it's a move with power kind of a heart. So we're praying, Lord, would you like us to hook ourselves up with Iris? Or, you know, if you want, we'll do it, the Assemblies of God. But I don't really feel very good about that one. But we know for sure we want to be your missionaries sent by you. So that's why I want you to start to see this. When you think about Pat and Teresa and you talk to somebody or whatever, hey, you know, I heard your pastor's leaving. Well, he is, but he's not leaving. We're sending him. We're sending his wife. We're sending his daughter. That's why I want you to think about it. And this scripture popped into my head as I was thinking about it after I talked with the guys. Acts chapter 13, 1 through 4. Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and there they sailed. They sailed <laughs> to Cyprus. So see, it's the biblical pattern to sail. Keith, it's not stupid. <laughs> I'll have two. 
The Lord said for me, if you could read this, the Lord said, set apart for me Pat, Teresa, and Annika. And they sailed. Just saying. Amen. And, but it's, see, it's already going on. It's not just me and Teresa and Annika. Look what God is doing and look what God has been doing. And these are just some stuff that popped into my head. There's probably a bunch more if I spend any time thinking about it. Look at Kennard. Kennard is almost 50, I think, 48, 49 years old, something like that. You know, kind of winding down on his program. And he actually thought, you know, well, the Lord's done with me. But the Lord said, no. Like, I think your daughter was concerned that you might not be around a long time for them or something. And the Lord said to him, you're not going anywhere till I'm done with you, and I'm nowhere near done with you. And now, all of a sudden, there's this ministry that, that has sprung up. The Lord has moved him to will and to work according to his pleasure for what his assignment is going to be going forward. Um, Grandpa Larry. Where's Grandpa Larry? There he is. Grandpa Larry. He's like, oh, Lord, you must be done with me. His health is faltering. You know, he's not, not getting around so good. He keeps falling down. Maybe you were pushing him down. I don't know. But, but Larry's thinking he's, he's run the course, and the Lord told him the same thing. You'll, I'll, you'll be done when I'm done with you. And now all of a sudden, stirring inside of Larry are all these calls, like to Russia and to the Arctic and all these different places. And it's already happening. How about um, Ben and Kim, right? That one's been going on for a while. 16 adoptions, two of which are in Tanzania still, right? That's just, you know, that's just the government, but they're still your children. Zhenya, no, not Zhenya, that's Idonis. Shinya, Shinya now, 17, so, so to speak, right? Look what the Lord is doing. Look at the Idonis. Now, hey, Ben, it's glorious, but it, it, it comes with some work and some little bit of headaches, right? I mean, just a little. Yeah, I mean, hospital trips and all this kind of stuff, right? Look at the Idonis. Let me just tell you, Tanya's not here. Ukrainian teenagers that live in orphanages, they got some junk. (laughs) Mrs. Brady just said amen and used different words. We had two. God bless them. I love them. But they're broken people. They got like 10 in their family. God moved their hearts. There they go. How about um, how about you two, the Crandalls and Adeline? You don't you know you don't just whatever you you whatever because God moved your heart towards your heart's broken for that child and you brought her into your house even though the world might say that your heart's going to get broken again. You know because you can't just bring a child into your house and and treat them keep them at arm's length just in case. Well, what good is that? That's not a Christian. A Christian loves them and is broken for them, even knowing that maybe they're going to be taken away. Look what the Lord is doing. What's he saying to you, Adeline? Amen? All right. Now, this one doesn't have a lot of form yet that I can see, but I'm watching my friend over there, Dana Hill, and the stir is happening inside of her. She's starting to make plans. She's trying to figure out pharmacist is a pretty good gig if you can get it, but that's not what's stern inside of her. It's not, hey, you know, I could be my own Rite Aid or my own Walgreens and make a billion dollars and nuh-uh. <laughs> he's, he's moving her. He's, he's stirring her heart and he's making it hard. He has to do that to get us to change, right? There's a bunch of stuff that if you look for it, you can see it. Let me tell you this too. I, this just came to me when I was praying in the last day or so. I have, I've seen a vision multiple times. It's, it's jokey kind of sounding the way I present it to you, but it's real. That basically God builds a cross in this church out of wheelchairs that nobody needs anymore. And the word gets out. And then people start to come. And, and it's almost like when they knew where Peter was going the people would lay their sick. They think he's going to come by in the afternoon. The sun will be over here so that his shadow, just if, just if his shadow touches, it's going to be like that. It's going to be, you know, that little scruffy church in Argentine. It, we just go and we're just going to sit in a parking lot and, and God will heal us. So now it's, you know, we start at 10.30. So it's about 10.32 and most of you are, you know, getting close. I was cute again. Sorry, you missed it. 
And you come and it's like, oh, the sick people got all the parking places again. And you got to drive your car down here and over there and park in the grass or who knows what. And then it's just like, all right, you know, whose turn is it to go out and heal the sick today? It's like, oh, it's Kendall's turn today. All right, hey, Kendall, yep, come here. It's, it's your turn today. You're going to go out and I think there's a half a dozen cancers out there and who knows what's and, you know, and it's Kendall today and it's, and it's you tomorrow and it's you the next Sunday. And, and the one thing I, I noticed when I was praying the other day and God showed it to me again, it was never me. <laughs> so that vision isn't my vision. That vision is your vision. He just happened to give it to me. And, and we should be pressing into that vision when we pray for Jonathan. Maybe we'll get a chance to pray for Shinya here before we go home. He's already doing it. Let me close with this. 2 Corinthians five fourteen and 15. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they, hear this part, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. One died, all died. One lives so that all might live. But those all that come to live don't live for themselves any longer, but they live for Christ. And, and that's the, the message um, that I think the Lord is going to really press on me to you between now and you know June or July or August of 2021, whenever it is that you know we we finally get called out, is that we're we're too much focused on living for ourselves. We have we have not really died in the sense that our tree has no leaves. So I ask you some question here. Does the love of Christ control you? I, I ask myself the same question. Does it control you? Do, does the love of Christ... Now, that, that's a weird one for me because I don't know what he means. Does my love for Christ control me? Or does his love for me control me? I think it doesn't matter, right? right. But, but most of the, the people that would try to give you an opinion on that will tell you that, that I am so moved, I'm so compelled as I come to know the love of Christ that I can't help but move. So does the love of Christ control us to speak to the one he shows us, to pray with the one he shows us, to love the one he shows us? Like next Saturday, there might be somebody, your whole ministry might be hugging them. And, and encouraging and affirming and, and strengthening and helping them to love and care for the one that he shows us. And, and I think about this. This is an example. Um, and I always get the, the specifics wrong, but the gist of it I'll get right. There was a, a little girl. She was like four years old. She was born in China. She was imperfect. She didn't have like her, one of her ears was messed up. And she was put in an orphanage. In the orphanage, she either lived in a crib or she had this Velcro harness thing and the wall was like wallpapered at the bottom with Velcro and they would stick her to the wall because it's easier to manage them if they can't be getting into stuff. So this, this lovely older couple in the state of Washington went through the process and adopted this little girl who doesn't speak, can't really communicate very much, is, is pretty substantially broken. And they, they find it's just more than they can deal with. So rumor, you know, all the, all the hyper-adoption people, you know, that kind of stuff gets out in their network, and it finds its way to the greens. So they start praying, Lord, this child is going to need a family. They're, they're going to disrupt, they're going to break the adoption, and that child is going to need a family. Is it us? Show us, Lord, if it's us. So then uh, Mrs. Green has a dream and in this dream she sees like a wall and all on the wall is written the word K-L-A-I-R-E Claire not Claire how it's spelled with a C K so she's praying Lord I, I, don't, I don't know what that meant and I think it's the very next day they find out that this child that they've been asking the Lord, should we adopt her? Do you want us to take it? Now remember, they got like 15 already. 
And they find out that little girl's name is Claire. But it's not Claire with a C. It's Claire with a K. All they needed to know. They start the process. But, you know, when you got already like 12 or 13 kids, there are not tons of money just hanging around in her pocket looking for a way to be spent. They don't have any money to pay for the adoption. And I think within just days, Ben, the guy from Kansas City, six $6,500 or something like that. Yeah, close enough. I mean, you know, I'd say 10000 if it were me. But like say six or $7,000 they don't have. And then they get contacted by some guy who they don't know, who's in Kansas City, Missouri, who says, hey, I don't know you, but the Lord told me that I'm to give you this much money, which is exactly the amount of money that they needed to bring Claire into their home and pay for the adoption. I'm saying, what's God saying to you? You know, what's he saying? Well, he's saying Claire. And you know Claire. I mean, you know, Claire is here. You got to watch Claire on potluck Sunday, man. Because if you blink, she's got your food and she's gone. (laughs) Does the love of Christ control us? Yes, sir. Please. You want the stick? I don't know what I did with it. Watch the lightning. Yeah, so it was stupid to me, not that God was sending them out to go on a terrible, but this is my pastor. They're my pastor for 10 years, and I would have to say, I love him. I love his wife. Yes, I love a man. <laughs> I love him. He's my pastor. So it's, And I know that some of you are going through the same thing when he told you that. When you heard it, you, I, mean, I know you thought, thought the same thing, that he's our pastor. What's God's in control, and God has a plan, and God is faithful to finish what he started in all of us, as individuals and as a group, as a body of Christ. And this body of Christ, which is family, we're, we're, we're fine. God is doing something new, and we have to be okay with that. Right. And like Pastor said, he's not leaving. He'll be back, you know, so he's still part of our family. And I just wanted to say that to encourage you, because to look at the big picture. God is not going to stay in the same place. Things aren't going to get done that way. We have to move forward. So how it's going to look or what's going to happen, who knows? But we have to just trust that God's got it all worked out. Amen. Okay. Amen. Just think you'll have to make only half the amount of pork on potluck Sundays when I'm gone. Does the love of Christ control us to know him more? Really, to come to want to know him more, to love him more, to surrender ourselves to him more? If that's true, because I don't, I don't bet there's anybody who's fully, totally, complete. there's nothing that they couldn't still give to the Lord. But as long as there's something to give to the Lord, we need to give it to the Lord, right? So, so if that's the, the mode of your life and, 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 and you're surrendering in that way that because you know his love so much, then I say amen, move as he speaks. But if it's not, I want to tell you don't be afraid. Um... It seems so uh, mechanical or so scholastic. I can't think of the right word when I tell you to read your Bible, but there's life in those words. When you read those words, it's more than a textbook. It's more than anything else you could read. There's life in those words, and, and life is imparted to you by those words. It's rich and it's full. You can't eat a healthy meal unless you actually eat a healthy meal. And the scriptures in a closed-up Bible sitting on the coffee table, they don't nourish you at all. You have to choose. 
to open the book. And for a while, you might not feel like you're being nourished, but I promise you God is faithful, and he will nourish you in those words. So if if you're struggling to die to yourself, I'm saying read the book and pray. And if you say, I don't have time, I'm telling you, you do. You just have a priority problem. And you'll change. Um, is it for the moment or is it something could wait? Sure. There's, there's a little more to that, too, because it might have been God's will to do it, but he did it because you came. Margie called, right? Jackie and Brian called us. Hey, we're, we're looking to move this mountain. Will you help us to move the mountain? And we're going to do it for 17 days, fasting and praying. She hasn't had a... I think they're gone. She hasn't had a bite of food since um, it started, since... The last day of September was the last day she ate, right? So it's like she's putting her money where her mouth is or for something. There's no food going where her mouth is, but you came forward. And then the Lord moved, I think it was you and Larry, right, Keith? Forward. That was beautiful. Amen. That was worth a, that was worth a share. Okay, I'm going to wrap up quickly here. Hebrews 13, the, the second part of that scripture, 5 and 6. For he... Himself, God, has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? And then in the Great Commission, Jesus says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you and this part. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So we don't go as a mission. We go as a co-mission. Because Jesus himself had said, I'm going to be with you always, even to the very end of the age. God says, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. He says, seek me with all your heart. That, that seek me with diligence. He says, if you seek me, he will let you find him. How glorious is that? You have a promise that if you'll go after God, that he promises that you'll find him. Wow. He's a rewarder of those who seek after him. And he says that he will be with you when you are with him. So again, I just end with the same question I asked at the beginning. What is God saying to you? He's saying something. He may not be saying sell your house and buy a boat. He might not be saying who knows what, adopt eight children. But he's saying something because you're here for a purpose. It glorifies him when we walk in a purpose. Father God, I just say thank you. I say thank you so much. I thank you. I mean, you know, I don't always feel like this, Lord, because you know me better than I know myself, and probably true for all of us. I don't, I don't always feel like the call in the moment. But I thank you for the call. I thank you for the honor to pray for someone. I thank you for the honor to love someone. I thank you for the honor of hard conversations with people that bring about your will. I thank you, Lord for your presence inside of us. I thank you that you are just blessing us to desire to do and then empowering us to do that which is your will for our lives. And I pray for each and every one of us, Lord, that we would put down the world, that we would put down selfishness, we would put down comfort and and all the things that we think we're entitled to and seek you with all our hearts to be with you that you'd be with us, that when we finally come to that time where we stand before you, It won't be that despite that all of our works 
that were tested by fire failed, but yet we were saved, that we would bring many crowns, many glories, many wonderful things to lay at your feet when we come to be with you. Church, this is the only life where we can please God by faith. This is the only life where we can be challenged and choose to believe what he says, even when all the circumstances don't agree with it. This is the only time that we can please God by faith. Once we pass from here to there, there's no need for faith anymore. We'll know as we're known. So, Father, I pray that each and every one of us will truly find that place of surrender, that each and every one of us, that there will be no trees with leaves, Lord. When, when there's one tree with leaves, that'll be the one that stands out, but all the rest of the trees have been set apart according to you. We make our prayers and, and we, we give our praises and we say thank you all in Jesus' name, amen. So if, if anybody needs ministry, we just had a great testimony. If anybody needs ministry during this last little bit of praising and worshiping time, make sure you get ministry, okay? All right, God bless you.